Hey there, all you true crime fans. I'm your host, Amanda Russell, and this is Colorado Crime. If you're new here, I cover cases from coast to coast with a special emphasis on cases that happen right here in colorful, crime-filled Colorado. If you're returning, welcome back. Thanks for being here today. Before we get started, I did want to give you guys an update on last week's case. Barry Morphew filed a motion on May 26, 2022 to have his property returned to him that's still being held as evidence. He specifically stated he wanted the guns and cameras returned. This motion was denied on Tuesday, October 25th by a judge. Prosecutors believe these items can be used as evidence in the future. It feels like a really small victory, so I thought I would share it with you guys. Today will be our last case during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Please remember that if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, there's help out there for you. For anonymous, confidential help available 24-7, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You'll notice that none of the people accused or convicted of the murders we've discussed have been charged with DV. I'm sure there's a good reason as to why they aren't, but I think they should be. I think if a domestic violence act leads to murder of an intimate partner, DV should always be included. Is murder enough to keep them in jail for the rest of their life? Sometimes. But how many men and women are afraid to speak up because nothing's being done? And what is this saying to the victims of those crimes? This just doesn't seem to be helping, and it doesn't seem like it would lead to very good statistic tracking either. We should be learning from our mistakes made and not continuing to make them. Not much would change with sentencing or trial if DV was attached. I guess ultimately, I feel like it's a small justice for the family of the victim. The families lose a loved one and have to know they lost it because someone wanted control over their loved one. Maybe if DV was attached, the accused would have even the smallest reminder that their selfishness is the reason that they're there. Who knows, though? Narcissists are wild. That's it, though. I'm off my soapbox for the day. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Let's go ahead and jump right into episode four. Our case today is a case that made national headlines back in 2018. It was the case of the missing mother who hadn't been seen since Thanksgiving Day. Know which one I'm talking about? This is the horrible, tragic, and devastating case of Kelsey Barrett. Kelsey was a 29-year-old mother and flight instructor. She grew up on a farm in Washington State with her parents and brother. She had always dreamed of becoming a commercial pilot. Kelsey loved caramel macchiatos. Personally, I'm a blonde, flat, white kind of gal. But Kelsey loved coffee. She loved God, running, and being a mom. Kelsey and her fiancé shared a one-year-old daughter, and Kelsey's life revolved around her. One of the last conversations Kelsey shared with her mom was about cinnamon rolls she was making for breakfast, what she planned on getting her daughter for Christmas, and also how excited she was to take her to pick out a Christmas tree. Kelsey met her fiancé, Patrick Frazee, online in 2016. Her move to Colorado followed quickly behind. So quickly, in fact, she didn't have a job lined up when she moved here. In October 2017, 
Kelsey gave birth to their daughter, Kaylee. Kelsey started working for DOS Aviation in Pueblo, where she was well-liked, a hard worker, and very reliable. Kelsey and Patrick never lived together. Patrick actually lived on a ranch in Florissant, Colorado with his mother. The first time Kelsey stayed on the property, Patrick's mom accused Kelsey of being a hooker. I think it's pretty fair to say that they didn't have a very great relationship. Kelsey was a full-time mom and made the one-hour, one-way commute from Woodland Park to Pueblo several times a week. While Kelsey was busy trying to keep up with the day-to-day demands of being a full-time mom and employee, Patrick was spending his days working his farrier business and poisoning friends around him with lies about Kelsey. He would accuse her of being an alcoholic, abusing their daughter, and being an all-around bad mom. He even went as far as to say Kelsey abandoned Kaylee and left him with her. A far different story from what pictures and interactions with Kelsey showed. Then, his problems seemed to disappear on November 22, 2018, when it appeared that Kelsey couldn't handle the struggle anymore and went away to Idaho. The last footage of Kelsey shows her at Safeway with her daughter on Thanksgiving Day, buying groceries like the great mom she was. Neighbors of Kelsey caught Kelsey, Kaylee, and Patrick entering Kelsey's condo around 1.30 p.m., and Patrick and Kaylee leaving alone around 4.30 p.m. If this sounds cut and dry, it would have been, except for the fact that Kelsey wasn't reported missing until December 2, 2018. Kelsey's mom, who lived in another state, had reached out several times to Kelsey with no avail. Her mom, Cheryl, called Kelsey's fiancé and father of her grandchild, the person who would most likely know where she was, and was told that the two had broken up because Kelsey wanted her own space. Cheryl was surprised to hear this, as Kelsey hadn't mentioned anything to her. Patrick went on to tell her that Kelsey may have moved away, but he didn't know. Again, this seemed odd to Cheryl. She then asked Patrick to go check on Kelsey and see if her cars were at the condo. Patrick said he had to check his cows first, but would after, even though she wouldn't want him there. Cheryl just wanted to make sure her daughter was okay. After the awkward conversation with Patrick and the uneasy feeling became too much, Cheryl called the Woodland Park Police Department and reported Kelsey missing. Police reached out to Patrick, who stated he had received a text message from her on November 25th, but the two had recently ended their relationship and Kelsey seemed despondent. Cell phone records would later show that text message came from Gooding, Idaho. He claimed that Kelsey asked him to keep their daughter for a while because she was tired and stressed out. He also stated he was worried about her. Records also show that Kelsey's phone sent a text message to her employer stating she would be out for the next week. A very general search of her condo was conducted, but nothing indicated she was planning on leaving for any extended period of time. Her luggage, makeup, and toothbrush were all accounted for. The cinnamon rolls Kelsey told her mom about were still sitting on the stove. The only things that seemed to be missing were her purse, her keys, her phone, and Kelsey herself. Toys that Cheryl had purchased for her granddaughter were also missing. This seemed weird to Cheryl 
because she had given those to Kaylee for her first birthday just a month prior. On December 3rd, police released information that she was missing and that she was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, a gray sweater, blue pants that could have been jeans, white shoes, and a brown purse, and asked the public to send in any information regarding her disappearance. Cheryl and Kelsey's brother flew from Idaho to Colorado to search for Kelsey. When Cheryl asked Patrick if he had gone looking for her, he said he hadn't. That was the last time Cheryl spoke to Patrick, and I'm sure her suspicions were through the roof. Cheryl and her husband went to Kelsey's condo to see if they could find anything that might indicate to them where their daughter had gone. This is when Cheryl started to notice all the things that seemed wrong to her. The first being the thermostat was set to 72 degrees. Kelsey typically turned it down when she left. The second being the trash hadn't been taken out recently and the cans weren't in their usual place. And finally, Cheryl noticed a film on several areas of the condo from cleaning supplies. The TV, the love seat, and the stove all had these. Cheryl explained that as she walked through her daughter's home, she placed a picture of Kelsey and Patrick face down, frustrated that he wasn't more concerned. The first prayer vigil was held in Tacoma, Washington, Kelsey's hometown. The Woodland Park community would also hold a prayer vigil for Kelsey, but Patrick didn't attend. In an age where technology is at our fingertips and social media is so prevalent, it's odd that Patrick never once posted on social media asking for help finding her. Is that because he already knew where she was? On December 6th, Kelsey's family was staying in her condo while they searched for her. Kelsey's brother, Clint, made a grisly discovery. He found blood on the bottom of the toilet bowl and on the inside doorknob of the bathroom. They called the police, and that was the last time they were allowed into her condo. Police searched the home. When blood was discovered, investigators began focusing on Patrick. On December 15th, police talked to Cheryl and changed the locks of the condo so they would have sole control over who came and went. Cadaver dogs were brought in to search for Kelsey. Although the dogs never entered the home, they did hit on the front bumper of her own car. Police spoke to neighbors and discovered that one neighbor had video footage of Kelsey's front door, and it was only located 16 feet away. This is one of those systems that notifies your cell phone of motion, like Nest or Ring or something along those lines. This neighbor was out of town on Thanksgiving, but stated during the trial that her camera activity was particularly high that day. She stated that it had gone off six or seven more times than normal. I think some of this can be to the fact that it was Thanksgiving and there was probably more foot traffic in the area. During the investigation, though, police found that the camera alerted motion only four times on the 21st, the day before police suspect Kelsey was killed. On the 22nd, the camera alerted 27 instances of motion. The bulk of these occurred just before noon, right around noon, and again at 1.20 p.m. The next wave of motion was detected between 4.20 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. Between November 22nd and November 27th, there were 27 images captured. 
Of those 27, 11 were Patrick. He was seen on camera at 1.24 p.m. on the 22nd with something in his hand. He is seen exiting Kelsey's condo at 4.20 p.m. with Kaylee. About 10 minutes later, he can be seen again, but this time he has his back to the camera. This was the last image of Patrick captured at Kelsey's condo. While reviewing the footage to see if Kelsey was seen, she was never captured again on this camera. The last known photo of Kelsey was captured on November 22nd at 1.23 p.m. Kelsey was carrying flowers and the baby carrier. On December 11th, police released the footage of Kelsey and Kaylee entering Safeway. While police were pleading with the public for information, Patrick was visiting a local Verizon store. He told Kelsey's mom in their last phone conversation that he was going there to ask if Kelsey had texted anyone since going missing. But while he was there, he was described as being, quote, very nervous, paranoid, and sketchy, end quote. Patrick was trying to access an account but didn't have the PIN. He stated he wanted to change the PIN but was informed that he would need to contact corporate in order to complete his request, which seemed to make Patrick even more nervous. At one point during the interaction, Patrick told the employee, quote, don't believe what they're saying about me, end quote, which the employee felt was odd because he didn't know who Patrick was or what he was accused of at the time. Patrick was concerned about people having access to his phone account. He then asked if information stored on a phone could still be accessed even after the phone was destroyed. After Patrick left, the employee made the connection of who he was and what people were saying. He then sent an email to the police around 6.30 p.m. before leaving for the day. This employee was then interviewed the very next day. During the trial, Patrick's brother, Sean, took the stand. He's a Colorado Springs police officer and stated that he and Patrick hadn't been close for the past two or three years. On Thanksgiving Day, Sean and his family visited the ranch around 2.30 p.m. The only person there was his mother. The family ate dinner and waited for Patrick to return. Finally, around 4.30 p.m., Patrick called the home's landline to inform his family he would be late. Patrick arrived around 5 p.m. with Kaylee and began making their plates. Patrick then went outside to attend to some animals. When he came back inside, the family ate dessert and Sean and his family left. When Sean was asked if he saw anything in the back of Patrick's truck, he informed the court that Patrick had parked out of sight, so he'd not been able to see the truck, but that it would not be odd for Patrick to have a black box in the back. Police believe that Patrick placed Kelsey's body in the black tote to transport it back to the ranch. Sean spoke to Patrick on the phone on December 3rd. Patrick mentioned that Kelsey's grandma was sick and she may have gone to visit without telling anyone. Patrick then went on to tell his brother that Kelsey had alcohol issues and had sought help previously, so maybe she was getting help again and she just didn't tell anyone. Sean was also with Patrick on December 4th when police seized his phone. A local furniture store captured images of Patrick at 1.19 p.m. on the 22nd. He appeared to be driving in the direction of Kelsey's condo. A white dog carrier and a black box can be seen in the back of his truck. 
His vehicle appears on surveillance footage again at 4.34 p.m., and the black tote is in a different position. The first photo showed the silver clasps on the tote, but in the second image, the clasps are not visible. Special Agent Charles DeFrance, who works for the Denver FBI Division, took the stand during trial and discussed the search of Patrick's home on December 14th and 15th, the two days spent processing Patrick's truck, one day processing Kelsey's condo, and the follow-up search done at Patrick's home on the 21st. A folder was recovered from Patrick's home with banking documents inside. Also inside were two handwritten documents inside of an envelope, Patrick's alibi. There was also a receipt from Walmart that showed the time and date, the 22nd, at 1.50 p.m. that Patrick was buying his daughter formula. The other receipt was from Waste Management for a household waste dump of 70 yards with a date and time, December 1st at 12.39 p.m. There were also surveillance photos taken on the 22nd from a credit union that he had requested specifically from the credit union. The handwritten document read as follows, quote, approximately 12.30, pick up Kaylee, meet and exchange from parking area at her house, approximately 12.45, ent bank deposits, approximately 1.30, leave Walmart, drive 40 miles to check on feed, water cattle, approximately 2.45, feed water, check on cattle, approximately 3.45, drive home for Thanksgiving dinner, approximately 4.30, get home, end quote. Enter Crystal Keeney. Patrick's phone records became a pivotal part of the investigation when it was discovered he called an Idaho number on the 22nd between 4.30 p.m. and 4.40 p.m. Crystal and Patrick had met in 2006 while Crystal was dating another man. Quickly on in their relationship, Crystal claimed to become pregnant with Patrick's child, and he asked her to terminate the pregnancy, a request she granted. The two were on and off for years. In December 2008, Patrick called and told Crystal he bought a dog that came with a puppy and he didn't want it, so he offered it to her. When she came to pick up her new puppy, Patrick told her she needed to choose between him and her current boyfriend. She chose to stay in her current relationship. Patrick called in April of 2009, demanding payment for the puppy. When Crystal didn't send money, he called again and threatened to come and kill the dog. Crystal got engaged and she didn't hear from Patrick until October of 2010, the day before her wedding. Patrick called and told her not to marry her fiance and he would come, quote, rescue her, end quote. It wasn't until 2013 or 2014 that Patrick reached out via text message. They exchanged small talk, but it wasn't until 2015 that the two met in person. Crystal hadn't seen Patrick since 2008, but after her and her husband began having marital issues, she texted Patrick and he asked her to call. According to Crystal, the two spoke daily. Patrick began encouraging Crystal to leave her husband. He even talked about wanting to start a family with her. In March of 2016, Crystal found out she was pregnant again with Patrick's child. 
Crystal told Patrick, and he again hinted at abortion. She said she cried, but again went through with terminating another pregnancy. In May of 2016, Crystal filed for divorce from her husband. When she told Patrick, and he didn't respond the way she wanted, they stopped speaking until October of 2017, the same month and year his daughter Kaylee was born. Crystal claims that the two met up in March of 2018, but Patrick never mentioned Kelsey or their daughter. She returned in June of 2018 to help Patrick fix his fence. At first, Patrick didn't answer calls, but eventually did, and the two met up. Later on, Crystal claims she went to dinner with a former boss, and that's who told her that Patrick had a daughter. It wasn't until August that Crystal confronted him about Kaylee. She handed him a bag of baby items and told him, quote, I know, end quote. Patrick told her it wasn't the time to talk about it. And it wasn't until September that Patrick opened up about Kaylee by simply sending a photo to Crystal of the little girl. This is when Patrick began telling Crystal that Kelsey was harming their daughter and he wanted to, quote, take care of Kelsey, end quote. Crystal would go on to testify in court, sealing Patrick's fate and securing a plea deal to hopefully avoid more serious charges for herself. She pleaded guilty to one count of tampering with physical evidence and is actually now free on parole. Crystal told investigators, quote, I know what I did was wrong. I'll never be able to repay the Barrett family for that. I'll never be able to repay Kelsey or her daughter, but I try every day to make amends for what I did. I don't know what I can do other than that. In order to uncover what really took place on November 22, 2018, Special Agent Johnny Grusing interviewed Crystal. A little side note here. Special Agent Grusing also assisted in interviewing Barry Morphew from our last episode. Much of the information that we have from that case is because of Special Agent Grusing. Crystal would tell investigators that while she loved Patrick, she was also afraid that if she didn't help him, he would hurt her and her daughter. Crystal told investigators that on the day of the murder, Patrick called and told her there was a, quote, mess at Kelsey's home and she needed to come, quote, clean it up, end quote. Any normal person would be shocked by this call and would call the police. Crystal wasn't and didn't. Crystal knew this was coming. She was just waiting for the call. Patrick had solicited Crystal on three different occasions to kill Kelsey. The first time, he told Crystal to knock on Kelsey's door and hand her coffee laced with sedatives. Crystal did deliver the coffee, but not the drugs. The second time, he sent her to Kelsey's house with a metal pipe and instructed her on how to use it. Patrick told Crystal this was her chance to, quote, redeem herself, end quote. For not succeeding the first time. Crystal showed up to the house but decided against the murder and left the pipe in Patrick's driveway. She believed this conversation took place on October 15, 2018. The third time, he told Crystal to wait outside Kelsey's home with a baseball bat and, quote, swing away, end quote, at Kelsey. Crystal refused, so Patrick took matters into his own hands and carried out the attack he had been planning for weeks. 
Crystal asked for a plea and then shared all the grisly details. On November 22nd, Patrick showed up to Kelsey's home. He went inside and began to play a game with Kelsey. He blindfolded her with a sweater and asked her to smell different candles to see if she could identify the scent. While she was blindfolded, Patrick savagely bludgeoned Kelsey with a baseball bat. This all occurred while Kaylee was playing in the next room. After Kelsey was dead, Patrick called Crystal to do her part. He made sure to tell her to, quote, look for knocked out teeth, end quote. Crystal would spend four hours cleaning the crime scene. What couldn't be cleaned, stuffed animals and pillows, she put into trash bags. Six garbage bags were filled with blood-stained items. In court, Crystal testified that she left little spots of blood around the home, hoping investigators would find them. Maybe that's true. Or maybe she did a shoddy job of cleaning up the mother of her lover's child's blood and didn't want to go down for murder. From the stand, Crystal told the court, quote, her mom and that little girl never needed to see what Patrick did to her, and I didn't know he was capable of that. I didn't think he was capable of what happened, end quote. Crystal arrived at Kelsey's Woodland Park condo on November 24th. She testified that there was blood on the living room floor as well as the walls. She found blood spatter on the east wall, on stuffed animals, an exercise ball, a chest, another wall, and on the stove and dishwasher. By the time Crystal arrived, the blood was dry. She used rags from Kelsey's own bathroom. Those six garbage bags, those also came from Kelsey's home. Crystal left Kelsey's home and stopped by Sonic to grab a drink and lunch for Patrick and Kaylee. Patrick stored the black tote containing Kelsey's body in a friend's barn. When Crystal said she needed to return to Idaho, Patrick said they needed to get the tote. Patrick got into a tractor, grabbed the tote from the top of a haystack, and placed it in the back of his truck. The two drove back to his home in Florissant, and Patrick burned Kelsey's body in all six garbage bags after dousing them in gasoline. Crystal went on to explain that Patrick wanted the fire to burn hotter, so he added motor oil to all the items. The burned evidence included Kaylee's toys and Kelsey's blood-stained Bible. The two discussed the murder, and Patrick told Crystal that he just, quote, swung away, and it was really hard, end quote. He also said the next time he would, quote, stick to normal weapons, end quote. Next time? Really? When Crystal was testifying, she said, quote, he told me how hard it was to eat Thanksgiving dinner with my family when the mother of your child is in a tote in the back of your truck, end quote. As the two continued to chat, Patrick told Crystal that Kelsey's last words to him were, quote, please stop, end quote. This speaks volumes to what type of person Kelsey was. Even as the father of her child brutally attacked her and she fought for her life, she still said please. Patrick then directed Crystal to take Kelsey's phone, purse, and gun with her back to Idaho to make it look like Kelsey left. She sent several text messages from Kelsey's phone as a diversion, some to Patrick and one to Kelsey's employer. 
Crystal testified that she later burned the phone to destroy it. She said she took Barrett's gun to a friend, saying it was a suicidal ant, then burned Barrett's phone and purse at her home in Kimberly, Idaho. She testified that she put the ashes in a silver box, then into a plastic bag that she dumped in a trash bin on her way to work. After several calls from Patrick that Crystal said felt like, quote, coaching, Crystal began to really feel the pressure. On December 16, 2018, Crystal was met at her front door by FBI and CBI agents who told her they had a search warrant for bugle swabs. They told her they knew she lied and she agreed. She knew the jig was up. On December 20, 2018, Crystal told investigators everything from start to finish. Everything she knew, investigators now knew, and they would use all this to charge Patrick Frazee with Kelsey Barrett, the mother of his child's death. Jurors spent 11 days listening to testimony from friends, family, law enforcement agents, and investigators involved in the case. They deliberated for just three hours before delivering the verdict. On November 18, 2019, just days shy of one year after he brutally murdered Kelsey Barrett, Patrick Frazee was found guilty on all counts, first-degree felony murder and three counts of solicitation to commit murder. He was sentenced an hour later to life without the possibility of parole, plus 156 years, the maximum possible sentence. Currently, Patrick Frazee is trying to appeal his charges, and I'll keep you updated as that progresses. I, for one, feel absolutely certain that Patrick is exactly where he should be. He already told Crystal he would do it differently next time. I hope he never gets the chance to even dream that life outside of prison is possible. Thank you for tuning in this week. I'll be back next week with a new case. New episodes are released every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Please follow me on Instagram at Colorado Crime Pod for updates on next week's case as well as other true crime happenings. If you have any cases you would like me to cover, please send me an email at amanda at coloradocrimepodcast.com. I hope you have a beautiful day wherever you are, and as always, stay safe.